What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the Window Canada Sports Betting Podcast, the March Madness National Championship Preview presented by CoolBet. Ahead on today's episode of the Window, what a game. Madness finally reaches its peak on Saturday night with Jalen Suggs banking in the winner, how that game reminded us why we all love sports in the first place, and why tonight's game should be enjoyed. I'll make the case for both sides and why you bet the over or the under in tonight's national championship game. Then it's the weekend that was for Let's Do That Hockey as we go 2-1 with a pair of big underdogs left off the card and why. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Well, we needed about 36 hours, didn't we, after Saturday night. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't even sleep after that basketball game on Saturday, UCLA and Gonzaga, of course. And, you know, from a betting standpoint, you know, we went into that hoping, you know, at this point, it's the Final Four. We're kind of playing around for fun at that point. There's not really a ton in the way of edges, if you will, even though both games not particularly close to their point spread for kind of the opposite reasons than we thought they were going to be, which, of course, is sports, right? So we go in and we have the fun parlay, and that never had a chance. And, you know, the feeling of those two games was sort of like a U formation where the height of, you know, you can't see me right now, but I'm sort of making a U with my hands, but the height of the left-hand side of the U was the first two possessions in the Houston Baylor game. We've got, uh, Dejan Giroux just leaping over a person, which is not something that we've really ever seen in a basketball game outside of Vince Carter dunking over Frederick Weiss in the, what, 2004 uh, Olympics, 2000 Olympics, can't remember. Um, but, you know, I'd never seen that before. And that's an incredible play because he avoids taking a foul and we get a, you know, a block for a shot clock violation. And then Houston goes down the other way. And what did we talk about before that game, right? Offensive rebounds and three pointers. Houston gets two offensive rebounds off of two missed three pointers. They take a third, they nail it. They're up three to nothing. And that was the highlight of the entire game. Everything after that went south unless you were backing Baylor, which, again, was a completely reasonable, um, you know, handicap or completely reasonable option. Uh, But for our purposes, you know, we went for it with regards to the Houston money line. And it's funny that, like, (laughs) you know, you're watching this game and the first possessions were the highlight. Marcus Sasser, the only guy who shows up for Houston, and it was that was the game where the step up in class shows up, which is kind of a handicap that we use a lot or an element to a handicap that we use a lot in the NCAA tournament where we go, oh, well, who have they played yet? Right. And it's the, you know, the case, you know, against Houston, it's the case against all these different teams as we see upsets in the first couple of rounds. And that's, you know, we talk all the time about, okay, like the upsets are fun in very specific instances, but if there are too many upsets or there are, you know, upsets of, say, Illinois in the second round where we never get Illinois against Baylor. We never even get Illinois against Houston. And we get all these sort of humdrum type of games. This was that situation where Houston gets into a game against a team that's playing at a different speed than everybody else. And so, you know, we talk all the time about 
metrics and all of that sort of stuff. And like, I believe in all of that stuff as a portion of our handicap, right? It's the, the thing we use metrics the most for is hockey because hockey is such a random um, event type of a sport where you really don't have anything else to rely on because there isn't matchups in the same way that there is in football or basketball where you can see you know on the ice okay this player against this player doesn't really work that way in basketball it does and so you can take the metrics but you need to take them with a grain of salt and you have to also look at the basketball stuff and we looked at the basketball stuff we talked about the offensive rebounding and the three-point shooting and the defense uh the three-point defense for houston which didn't really do them all that good because if your three-point defense for example is really good against tulsa and tulane and, you know, the best team that they had essentially played all season was Texas Tech, who is, what, out in the second round this year. And it's funny because Gonzaga exists to sort of, you know, make us believe that schedule matters and, and strength of schedule matters. And the idea of, you know, going up in weight class and that really mattering. But if you're really, really good, it doesn't really matter. And, you know... I, we'll get to that Gonzaga UCLA UC, excuse me UCLA game here in a second, but when it comes to Houston, it's like Gonzaga was sort of taking that element away from where we should have been looking at Houston. And I know it's sort of easy to go, okay, uh, they face double digit seeds all the way through, but you know at the time we had a healthy respect for what Jim Beheim and Syracuse were doing at at that point. We had a very healthy respect for what Oregon State was able to do going on the run that they did against a bunch of really good teams, which by the way included UCLA at the start of their run in the Pac-12 tournament. And so, you know, it's this balance between how do we get caught up. You know, how much do we get caught up in double digit seeds and all of that sort of branding element to these teams versus how they're actually playing? And we did the same thing. And fortunately, we were able to sort of cover that at, you know, pretty significant amount with Baylor coming into this tournament and people sort of selling the idea of Baylor even making the final four. Right. I saw and heard a lot of different shows of similar ilk to this one talking about how Purdue would make the final four or Arkansas would make the final. Four. Certainly Arkansas came close or Texas Tech or even Ohio State. Right. And then Baylor gets to the final four. And then, of course, subsequently the final with relative ease, right? And it wasn't, you know, go back and look at the numbers from a bracket standpoint. It's not like the majority of people had them penciled in for the final. So we can't do a revisionist history on this that just says, oh yeah, we knew this the whole time. And should we have known this the whole time? Yeah, we probably should have known this the whole time, but this wasn't the thing that everybody was predicting. And, you know, we talk about kind of the people who show up in March or the people who show up in February looking to uh, bet this event or play bracket contests, right? Who weren't around back in December, who didn't know that this was the matchup that we've been waiting for the whole time. So, you know, you feel like an idiot for thinking an underdog can win in this situation because they have had this fortunate route to the finals. And then that feeling like an idiot lasts as long as it takes to get through a Miley Cyrus concert and get to the second game before you then realize, okay, well, UCLA, pretty similar situation here. And and for um, the most part, not even as dominant as Houston was in at least a couple of those games leading up to the tournament. And you go, oh, okay, so like an underdog can win. It just wasn't the one 
that we happen to have. It was the opposite, right? It was the one that was ended up being a 14 and a half point underdog was the one who had a chance to win this game versus the one that was a five point underdog. And of course, neither point spread was ever in doubt for either single one. And is that would that have been the case sort of if they played again tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera? No, not necessarily. And so this next game comes along and the handicap is, you know, the under. And the idea that UCLA, how are they going to score? How are they going to get good shots against this Ken, this um, Gonzaga team, this Gonzaga defense that is rated so highly in Ken Palm, right? It all comes back to the ratings. And so whether it's Ken Palm rating Baylor and Houston as dead equals in his rating system, or whether he's rating the Gonzaga defense really, really good, neither of those situations really came to fruition. Neither one of those ratings were really appropriate in these single games. Now, again, if they play again tomorrow, does UCLA score the way UCLA scores? Who knows? And so this game goes to overtime 81-81. And so obviously, kind of didn't really matter what the score was. If this game was going to overtime, the game was going to go over, right? The total was going to go over. But I want to read you a couple of tweets here, and I want to cite them as well because they're really good from an analytical standpoint to sort sort of show you just how kind of crazy that UCLA-Gonzaga game was, and really more importantly, like what UCLA's performance, you know, really meant. And so B, at BPredict, uh, he tweets out, UCLA's 1.32 points per possession of offense were the most Gonzaga had given up in 20 years of Ken Palm's data. So... You know, not necessarily, you know, every one of those Gonzaga defenses were particularly great. This was supposed to be, and still may be, the best, or close to it, the best of Gonzaga from a defensive standpoint. And it was still the most from a points per possession that they gave up in, you know, basically since we started calculating this stuff. Uh, Elias Sports Bureau. Last night's overtime thriller between UCLA and Gonzaga produced a combined field goal percentage of 58.2%. So there's no game on planet Earth that's going to go under if the <laughs> combatants are shooting 58.2%. The last time a Final Four championship game featured such a high mark was 1985, when Villanova and Georgetown combined to shoot 63% from the field in the title game. That, of course, is one of the historic um, upset wins that Jack Armstrong talked about on Friday show. Hopefully you caught that really fun interview with Jack. And so, you know, we're talking about historical levels of shooting, which, you know, was kind of the handicap. Like if they shoot at a historical level here, they're probably going to go over. Like that's the handicap of essentially every single game. But the one that I'm really most interested in, I want to give credit where it's due, is at shot underscore quality. And what this, you know, what these guys do is they measure based on your shot quality it's kind of like high danger chances in hockey to be completely honest with you based on the amount of high danger chances are you know how likely were you to win this game in this case it's given the shot quality that you had how likely were you to win this game right so the better shots that you get open threes open layups right that's really good shot quality um contested long twos not really great shot quality. And so you know where I'm going with this if you watch the game because you saw UCLA with <laughs> contested uh, two-point mid-range shots over and over and over again, and they just kept going in over and over and over again. And you're just sort of stunned by the amount of shots that went in. So based on their shooting, Gonzaga, or their, quad shot, their shot quality, I should say, Gonzaga should have won that game 98% of the time getting the looks that they got versus get 
you know, the defensive looks that they were giving to UCLA. But UCLA was just shooting at just an abnormal, insane rate. And so this game ends up going to overtime. And at 81-81, you know, what if there was sort of human shooting? What if there was sort of regular shooting when it comes to especially UCLA? I mean, Gonzaga certainly shot, you know, as well as they could have expected themselves to shoot in this game. And again, the handicap was possessions. There's not going to be a ton of them relative to a relatively big number in 147. And we saw Tiger Campbell, right? He's just barely getting it over the the halftime line excuse me, the half court line, the timeline, um, in nine seconds, right? With 21 seconds to go, he's just crossing over. And you could see them wanting to go on fast breaks and just hitting the break and almost looking back at Cronin going like, okay, no, you're right. I forgot, almost forgot. Almost forgot that we weren't doing fast breaks in this game. We want to slow this down. And so from a pace standpoint, they were doing what they needed to do. And so, you know, if it's 81-81 and UCLA has had this incredible shooting rate here what would the score have been if they hadn't shot that way and so you know based on this sort of these parameters of this game obviously not going to overtime so it doesn't end up you know in the 90s it's essentially Gonzaga 82 to UCLA 63 like that's what the game you know when it says 98 percent from a win probability you sort of have to extrapolate that into okay well if they're going to win the game 98 percent of the time what would the average score you know sort of be if UCLA's shooting had been sort of to the norm of, you know, what they got, which was, of course, long twos, contested layups, et cetera, et cetera. And so 82-63, well, that's a total of 145. Now, that's right on the number, and that's why these numbers exist, and that's why a lot of these totals come down to, you know, whether you win over or under, you know, they come down to the last minute of these games because they are really they're done really really well and so when you're trying to come up with outlier performances and you're trying to make these bets right like that's what you're looking for and in this case like that is one major outlier performance where they scored you know almost 20 points more than they should have and of course if that's you know the case then if you know Gonzaga's got a 10 15 point lead late in the game then they take the air out of the ball and we don't have you know sort of the end game you know, intensity, certainly don't have last shots to tie the game and sort of back and forth stuff. We're just kind of dribbling it out and maybe the bench players get in and all of that sort of thing happens. And it maybe even becomes, you know, much lower than 145, which is sort of the, again, projected number that, uh, you know, that, that it should have been. And you tip your cap to UCLA for shooting the way they did. And so we do this parlay for fun because in part, you know, because the vast majority of the games that we watch, whether it's baseball, hockey, basketball, football, whatever, we need a bet on them to make them interesting. Certainly this tournament was a really great example of really needing a bet or a bracket or something along those lines so that you could be interested in some of these games because up until this game, it had been pretty rough. Right. And because we have all of this stuff that we can do sort of ancillary to, it's no different than the NFL, where we've got fantasy football, we've got survivor, we've got betting and all of that. And then we can ignore the fact that these games are just shoddily refereed and they're shoddily coached. And in a lot of cases, they're shoddily played and it doesn't really matter. Right. And we get to um, enjoy it for what we make of it. And hopefully the point spread comes down, you know. Well, first of all, hopefully it's a winner, but hopefully if it's not a winner, it comes down um, to a late game type situation. And neither of these did that. 
and for the Baylor and Houston game, even if you had won with Baylor, you know, you know that you've won at halftime and you're sort of like, okay, well, what do I do for the next three hours until they bother to tip this second game off? But then we get that second game. And the good part of the parlay and the under being killed early is that we weren't tied to a desired result late in that game. And so now we can watch that game as a fan. We can watch it for fun. And I gave our friend of the podcast, Alex Moretto, who over at The Score, a bit of a hard time on Twitter in that he was talking about baseball betting. And you know how I feel about baseball betting. It's just ridiculous. Um, but more power to whoever does it. And he does a really great job. He's killing it. So if you want to f- follow baseball plays, go check out Alex's Twitter feed. He's, he's doing really, really well to start this season. But, you know, he said, like, the, the true fans are, you know, in their basement sweating out six baseball games on a beautiful July night. And I would, you know, I sort of said back to him then, like, I made a joke about betting on hobo fights. But, like, you know, you're not really a true fan if you're if you need the bet. And so that's... And again, more power to them. And, um, you know, I've certainly been that person who who has not wanted to do something socially because I had a bet on a game. But the true fan is the one who's sitting there through the six games when they don't have a bet at all. And I certainly couldn't be that person. And I don't expect anybody really to be that person. But um, the cool part about that second game is, you know, the bet has been decided. You know, even if you had Gonzaga minus 14 and a half, even if you had UCLA plus 14 and a half, right? Like in no, at no point were the total or the side even really close, which was again, obviously the exact opposite as it had been earlier in the week in the, um, you know, Elite Eight, where you've got these games that were both right on the total and right on the spread and weren't all that interesting other than, you know, for that fact. And so we get to watch this game as a fan, and what we got to enjoy was a historically good basketball game, right? With more than one play that will remember forever, and a finish, you know, you would never see coming, and, you know, obviously a result that also kind of helps us going forward to get excited about tonight, and it was just awesome. And for me, like, that was sort of a sort of an old school visceral reaction to a basketball game where, you know, I don't really care who wins. I mean, sure, I sort of wanted Gonzaga to win to set up the game for uh, for Monday, for tonight. But at the same time, like, you're still going like, man, the underdog UCLA Bruins, like, this team's so scrappy. Like, can you believe this and whatever? And we all have that sort of inherent pull to sort of cheer for the underdog. And so, you know, even then without a bet on it, you're sort of fighting yourself internally on like, what do I really want to see happen here? And fundamentally, I just wanted to keep going. And so the biggest disappointment, if you will, in Suggs making the shot, the only disappointment in Suggs making that shot is that you were sitting there going like, oh, the game's over. Like what a disappointment, you know, from that standpoint. But now it's this historically great basketball game and people of course arguing like what is this the greatest basketball game greatest college basketball game blah 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 and like listen that's for a completely different show um but you know long story short is that that game um had me buzzing and i you know tough to get to sleep after a game like that that had nothing to do with a bet at that point in time and a game that has me even more excited for tonight 
Quick interruption to remind you that CoolBet.com is the presenting sponsor for the Windows March Madness coverage. There's still time to sign up and double your deposit up to $200 of free money to bet with. If you're looking to try single game sports betting for the first time, or you're looking to add to your sportsbook repertoire, CoolBet.com is offering to double your deposit up to $200. There's a link in the description of this podcast. Otherwise, simply go to CoolBet.com, create your account, and enter the promo code WINDOW to double your deposit. Terms and conditions apply. Now, back to the betting talk. So, as for tonight's game, you want me to tell you there's some great edge here. Right? Like, you want me to tell you, like, oh, tons of value on this, tons of value on that. But, unfortunately, I can't tell you that. And it's kind of no different than the Super Bowl in a lot of ways, where you get to a point where you go, well, we kind of know everything that we need to know here. Or that we, you know, that everybody knows. And so the line opens up and it doesn't really move in the same way that, you know, the line opens Kansas City 3-3.5 against Tampa Bay, and it kind of jostles back and forth, you know, during Super Bowl, the two weeks of the Super Bowl, and at no point does, you know, money, you know, fly in that's going to move it one way or another. And so it's kind of the same way with just a little bit less time, and they could play this game two weeks from now, and I think the line stays exactly how it is. And it's the same thing with the total, right? They make the total, it stays basically where it is. And again, maybe this comes and makes some sort of big move right before tip-off, but I don't really think that that's going to be the case. What I can do for you here is make a case for each side and for each total. And you can bet this game based on what you feel, with you know, with, what makes most sense to you, right? Like, what do you feel is accurate? And so we'll start with the underdog here, Baylor plus four and a half. I always say start with the underdog and then sort of explain to me why I'm supposed to be afraid of the favorite to the point where I lay the points. Well, in the case of Baylor, this game has existed for months. And what I mean by that is literally like this was a game that we've been talking about since December when it was supposed to be played. Now, COVID-19 ripped that away from us back in December. And for those of us hardcore college basketball fans, like that was incredibly devastating at the time. Remember waking up Saturday morning, being like, all right, this game, I believe it was a 12 o'clock start, 1230, one o'clock, something along those lines. And I'm like, okay, let's get this, let's get this going here. A neutral site game between Baylor and Gonzaga. This is going to be awesome. And so there was a point spread back then. And, you know, that number was, you know, two and a half, three, something along those lines for Gonzaga. And so, you know, this has existed in our lives since that time. This isn't a game where it was like, okay, let's just make the number. You know, if it had been UCLA Houston, for example, it's like, oh, okay, well, let's make a number. Let's throw it up there and let's see, you know, how it sticks. And, you know, it would have been like Houston minus seven or something along those lines. And, you know, we would have then seen how the market is supposed to react to it. But this number being what it is at four and a half, the case for Baylor here is that if the number three months ago when this game was played was supposed to be under this, then there would be theoretically betting value on Baylor and Gonzaga going forward, increasing their uh, reputation, if you will, since this game back in December, whereas Baylor's had COVID breaks and then lost a couple of games coming out of that COVID break. And, you know, as we've talked about, even just in the last segment, right, like their, their stock had sort of gone down. And that's why this game is more than a, you know, three point game, essentially. 
So that's the case for Baylor from a number standpoint. From a basketball standpoint, the case for Baylor is an underrated level of defense. And, you know, we talked about it going into the tournament as well, right? Like, do the defensive metrics really make any sense given the fact, you know, that we're working off of a season here that doesn't have an appropriate um, importance for its numbers, right? It doesn't make a ton of sense to be, you know, putting all this weight into these numbers when you've had such a crazy wacky season where teams are still playing games despite being um, compromised if you will and so the case here is that like the Baylor's defensive numbers are never going to fully look the way that they should and from an eye test standpoint what we saw on Saturday and what we've seen a little bit before that you know, in in spurts, essentially, is that Baylor's defense is playing at a speed right now that is certainly top five in the country and not, you know, 23rd, which is where their rating was going into this tournament. And so, you know, I understand why the numbers are what they are, because the numbers shape the number, if you will. And so the case for Baylor here is they can win this game and they can do so, obviously, with incredible offense, incredible shooting, et cetera, et cetera, but with an underrated defense, right? Like that's what is missing from this number being where we thought it should be back in December because we had a higher respect for Baylor's defense back in December because we were basing it off of the season before when they had a really good defense from a metric standpoint and up until December, or at least up until January, February, when they start having to deal with COVID breaks, Baylor's defense had a lot um, greater respect to it. So that's the case for Baylor. The case for Gonzaga at minus four and a half is as much as we go back to December and look at the line for that game being less than four and a half for Gonzaga, we can look to last week and we can look to Circus Sports in Las, Las Vegas putting up a number for this game and all the combinations of these games. And they had this number at Gonzaga minus six. Now, I know a lot of sharp people online were like, give me that plus six. Like, I'm all about that plus six, plus six, plus six. Let me grab that. And of course, what happens is Baylor looks amazing against Houston. And Gonzaga, from a scoreboard standpoint, looks, you know, pedestrian, right? Like, they're in a tooth and nail game against UCLA. So maybe Gonzaga isn't all they're cracked up to be, right? And But from a score standpoint like that is going to drive the perception and that's what drives this number off of that six down to four and a half so what's the case for gonzaga well the case for gonzaga is a couple of different things the first case is i just laid out in the previous uh segment that the scoreboard wasn't indicative of how that game should have played out on the scoreboard right? It should have been a comfortable win for Gonzaga based on the fact that UCLA was making ridiculous shots is why it didn't end up that way. And so when you look at this game and you go, okay, well, you know, if Baylor is going to have to make the same level of shots just to hang in there with Gonzaga. Now, obviously it's a little bit of a different story because UCLA was such the underdog, but if Gonzaga's defense is still pretty good, because I know I left that game going like, okay, well, they just gave up 80 points in regulation to UCLA, who only scored 50 against Michigan. Like, how good could Gonzaga's defense possibly be? But then you see these metrics saying that it was UCLA's good shooting, essentially, and not Gonzaga's bad defense that allowed 
UCLA to be in that game and to force overtime and give them a chance to win. So, you know, then I can't necessarily buy into the perception that this game should, you know, this point spread should drop because of the way that Gonzaga played, because they played well enough to win, they played well enough to cover that spread, and they played well enough to have that be a comfortable victory, and thus played well enough for the game to still be minus six. Now again, a lot of people saying that plus six would be a great deal and all of that sort of thing, regardless of what happened with Gonzaga. But the case there is that this number should be six still, and if it's minus four and a half, you're getting some value on Gonzaga. And from an offensive standpoint, Gonzaga is probably going to have a pretty good matchup with Drew Timmy down low. They have the bigger guards, right? We always look at the guard matchup, but that didn't really do all that much for Houston on Saturday, but they do have bigger bigger guards uh, than Baylor does. And so that will be sort of an interesting matchup as well. Um, but at least Baylor has a handful of guys that can come, you know, not necessarily off the bench, but, you know, well, not only off the bench, but also sort of within their regular rotation who could potentially guard Timmy as well. So they have a few fouls there to deal with um, the big man for the Bulldogs. So that's the case for Gonzaga in that, you know, if it wasn't for UCLA's shooting, this line's probably six. And so you're getting some value there. So you can see that it can be spun in either direction. Either there's value at plus four and a half with Baylor because it should be three from, you know, back in December, or it should be six from last week. So that's where we kind of find ourselves in the middle here at four and a half, which is fundamentally why we don't have a bet on either side. If it was minus six, we would understand why it was minus six, and then maybe we would take Baylor plus the six points. If it was minus three, we would understand why it was minus three, but we would give the points and back Gonzaga here at minus three tonight. So the next option here, and this is the option for hope. This is the option for fun. This is the op option for wanting to see the best game possible. And that's the over. Over 159 and a half. This is the option where you're cheering for fun stuff to happen. You're cheering for points on either side. You're cheering for as many overtimes as we can possibly get right? You are there to watch the game and you are rooting for human achievement. And that's fundamentally the case for the over. I mean, obviously both teams wanting to run, both teams play fast, both teams can shoot the lights out, both teams can score. This is why this number is so high, right? It's not the reason to take the over, it's the reason that the over is 159 and a half. And that's an important you know, designation for any game. Right, whether it's a football game they think is going to be high scoring, and then you wake up and it's a sixty-two, you know, sixty-two and a half point total, and you go, yeah, okay. So we already know what everybody expects here, but what are we, you know, willing to bet? Is it going to exceed our expectations, or is it going to not meet our expectations of one fifty-nine and a half? And when it comes to tonight's game it's not a major bet. It's not a best bet, right? Like those sort of went by the wayside by the time the, you know, elite eight rolled around, but it's the one that I would like to cheer for based on the fact that I'm really excited for this game. And so, um, that's the route that I would go. Now, if we're trying to win money here, which if, you know, ostensibly fundamentally, that's what we're trying to do here from a betting podcast standpoint, the under 159 and a half is the right side. For the case of after two overs, 
uh, over the course of you know this weekend on Saturday, you know, on Saturday, both games going over. Um, after having watched a lot of balls go into the basket, three out of the four teams could not miss a shot, and Houston, obviously the one team that could, you know, they're not anywhere remotely near Indianapolis anymore. I don't think. I assume they went home, um, though they can probably squeeze them into the stadium somewhere. Um, and so when you see all of these you know, the ball going in the basket so easily, that's what's going to result in an inflated spread. When you see people say, I would like to bet the over in this game because I'm excited about it and I want both teams to really do well and have it be an exciting game that goes on, you know, into multiple overtimes, how great would that be, right? You can inflate a point spread and you can inflate, in this case, a total. And so I think this number is inflated at 159 and a half like that's a ton somebody has to get to 80 for this to work right they have to get beyond 80 for this to work and so that's a really big ask on a big stage when nerves are involved and all of that sort of thing and so there's a lot of different ways that this can go under we just talked about how gonzaga's defense is actually underrated based on you know after a game where they gave up 90 points because again is Baylor going to have the shooting night that UCLA has? And if Gonzaga's defense that was keeping UCLA from shooting threes and allowing them long twos, if they're able to do that against Baylor, then sure, Baylor might still shoot the lights out, but it's going to come at two at a time. Same thing. We just watched Baylor and we go, okay, well, from a defensive metric standpoint, people have sort of been complaining about Baylor's defense. Again, that's how these numbers are getting made. And then all of a sudden we see the intensity the defensive intensity that they're willing and able to play with on Saturday. And so you go, oh man, like that defense is going to bring it on Monday. And Gonzaga's defense is sneaky better than we think because of how good UCLA's shooting was. How are these teams supposed to get to 160 points? Unless we get extra time, unless we get overtime, you know, multiple overtimes, etc. So... You know, again, it's this championship game here where a lot of people are going to want to bet the over and the number isn't really moving. And that means that the sports books are pretty okay with those of us who are who have already put a bet in at over 159 and a half. And they're like, pile on in here, everybody, because what you guys don't realize is that Gonzaga's defense is still pretty good. And that Baylor's defense is better than we think, especially at this point in the season. One last thing before we move on, some player props. And, you know, listen, uh, basketball, college basketball player props, certainly not my forte, certainly not something that's even really available all that frequently and has only been available, I think, in the Final Four and tonight's game. Um, these things are always going to be inflated to the over, so you want to try to pick and choose a couple of spots where you like the under. One from each team for me, Matthew Mayer. Under nine and a half points is a play that I would make in this one. Um, not primarily, I shouldn't say not solely a three-point shooter, but more primarily a three-point shooter. His number is at nine and a half here. And so, you know, if he's going to hit three threes and that's it, you're still under. If he's going to hit two of them, he's still going to need two more buckets or, you know, obviously a combination of free throws to get over there as well. And I just don't think that that's necessarily, um, I don't think this game is necessarily the spot for him with the size of who he may be matched up with Gonzaga, 
right? Like normally he's able to get his shot off against smaller guards on the outside. And that's just not what Gonzaga is bringing to the table defensively. So I think, you know, obviously a guy coming off the bench as well. So who knows how many minutes he's necessarily going to get. Um, and then strangely enough, the other one's Jalen Suggs. And, you know, as much as it took a half court, almost ish bank shot, um, for him to win that game and for Gonzaga to advance, it also took that half court shot, that overtime for him to hit his over on his total. And I would expect, you know, listen, they call him off night, Davian Mitchell to be the guy to guard Jalen Suggs. And if you're getting guarded by a guy whose nickname is off night and the expectation is that you're going to get 16 points in this game, I just think that's a little bit too high for a guy who is completely fine with passing the ball and dropping it off. And if we think Drew Timmy is going to be the focal point of Gonzaga's offense the way I think that we should, he has, you know, he's at 21 and a half from a, you know, scoring standpoint here in his, you know, over under player prop. Um, you know, I think Jalen Suggs is going to be more of a distributor. And so then you also go and you look at Jalen Suggs' uh, assist numbers and five and a half is his number. That is a little bit high for a college basketball game. Plus 105 on the over there. Certainly interesting. But for me, i rather try him at under 15 and a half points in this one. Uh, rebounding wise, Baylor, it's so difficult to figure out sort of who's going to be out there the most. Whether it's, you know, Flo Thamba, Mark Vidal, you know, these guys at three and a half, four and a half, like those numbers seem really low for those guys. But either one of those guys could, you know, could end up only playing, you know, 10 minutes in this game. Maybe it's foul trouble going up against Timmy. Maybe it's, you know, they choose to go with Jonathan Chamachachua. And, you know, it's really a tricky spot there when it comes to trying to predict rebounds um, for Baylor. And from, you know, Gonzaga's standpoint, right, the guards do a pretty good job of rebounding. Jalen Suggs, five and a half to the over is minus 140 over um, at Bet365 right now, who's offering these props. And so I don't know that I'm looking to, you know, assume that Suggs is going to have six rebounds, even if I think from a guard standpoint that, you know, look at Jola Ayayi is six and a half for his rebounds. Like that seems really high for a guard, but again, that's what they do. They're able to support Timmy from a rebounding standpoint. Player threes made, right? Matthew Mayer is one and a half at plus 165 to the over. So think about it this way. They think he's an underdog to hit two threes. And so that only really makes it more sort of interesting to grab uh, him at nine and a half on the under four total points. Um, Ayayi one and a half to the over would be interesting for me there. Plus 115. I think he could hit two threes. So if you were looking to hit an over here, Joel Ayayi, certainly the play to be made from that standpoint. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Thank you very much, Lazlo. Of course, we can't get out of here without doing a little let's do that hockey. We're about a week away from let's do that hockey being the featured presentation of this podcast as uh, obviously we've got master stuff coming up um and then yeah next week it's it's going to be let's do that hockey until we get to the playoffs and then include the nba playoffs in all of our action there um this past weekend looked great two and one over the weekend good for three and oh up until the flames blew a two to one lead late last night which of course is exactly how you want to finish your weekend with a blown two to one lead for an underdog that you were backing at plus 135 but we cashed with the leafs on friday 
And then, of course, they get us back by still winning yet again against Calgary. Now, they were the better team. Let's not get, you know, that twisted. They were the better team in that game. And I'm not going to necessarily beat up um, David Riddick for not being particularly good. Uh, it's a battle of the backup goaltenders. And, you know, what can you sort of expect from either guy? Um, you know, there's going to be a high variance level when you have those two backup goaltenders in, which is kind of, again, the point of backing the underdog at plus 135. And we were certainly looking pretty good there. Um, getting into, what, late second period with a 2-1 to one lead. Um, so 2-1 over the weekend, Nashville beating Chicago on Saturday as well. And so, you know, a couple of missed opportunities, a couple of missed, you know, whatever the opposite of an opportunity is. Um, Tampa and Detroit yesterday, Detroit was plus over 300. And it was one of those lines where it was so high that it like almost psychologically tricks you into not betting the underdog because it makes you feel like this has less of a chance of winning than it actually does. Again, that's the point of the model is supposed to tell you that, well, in fact, you know, there's a 37% chance of Detroit winning this game. And that, you know, obviously means that it's not that likely, but it's certainly better than the like 25% chance that, you know, the, the money line price is telling you, right? They're trying to tell you that there's only a 20 to 25% chance, but then Tampa Bay brings in a goaltender that we've never seen before. And again, then we go back to what we talked about, what, last week or two weeks ago, when it comes to goaltenders that we don't know anything about, are they good? Could they be good for one game? Could they be good for one week? Is there, you know, just because we've never seen this guy play, is that reason enough to, you know, steer clear from him? Or is that reason enough to fade him? And so we know from Tampa Bay's standpoint, we know Curtis McElhaney is not very good. And Tampa Bay seems um, like they've clued into that as well by going with this unknown Gibson fellow um, in net. And so you look at it and you go, okay, well, you know, I guess looking back at it, you should say to yourself, well, if they've known that McElhaney wasn't very good, which we've all known for a really long time, and they had another guy to try, they probably would have done that by now. But we thought the same thing when it comes to the Ottawa Senators. So maybe that's the difference between the Ottawa Senators and the Tampa Bay Lightning, whereas Ottawa could have a couple of good goaltenders, a couple of better goaltending options in their system or at, you know, available to them and still somehow sign Matt Murray to a big deal or to put Marcus Hogberg in there. Whereas Tampa Bay knows and can evaluate their own talent well enough to know that they should not be playing um, anybody other than Curtis McElhaney, even though Curtis McElhaney is not very good. And so now we know, but again, it's probably too late because if somebody other than Curtis McElhaney goes in net, we'll know that they are just awful and probably, you know, the market and the sports books will know this as well. So Detroit ends up handing it to Tampa, but if you look at the expected goals for, it was a classic Tampa game where it was essentially one expected goal for for either team at even strength and so you know how does detroit end up winning five to one well they get a handful of soft goals on tampa's um quote-unquote new goaltender so you go oh, okay well we missed out on taking advantage of that goaltender at an insanely good price columbus and florida you know on the flip side we don't get sucked suckered into a possible you blew it situation and you know we haven't talked a ton about you blew it situations here in the last six weeks or so with college basketball ramping all the way up i haven't been able to sort of track the record but what the you blew it situation is is when an underdog plays really well 
um, has the better expected goals for, has more high danger chances in a game, but then loses to the favored team. But they play the next day or they play two days later. They have a rematch. And, you know, you look at the underdog and you go, wow, they played actually better five on five. Like, let's back them again as underdogs here, knowing that they can play at even strength with the favorite. And, of course, that ends up being when they don't play very well. Well, that was that situation yesterday. And so we avoid at least backing Columbus. That would, of course, been um, at a price that the model would tell you to back. But you blew it came into the mix and said that we should be backing Florida. And so they go on to win. Now, I wasn't looking to lay minus 160 with a Florida team that, again, is without Aaron Eckblad, I think is you know wildly overrated. I saw a power rating today that had them second in the NHL. Like, that's outrageous. I mean, completely insane. Um, but, you know, again, that's just based off of an eye test or using the standings or however people decide the power ratings, um, how they use power ratings. Um, Florida's win, by the way, sixth win in a row, but the first one of their, of these wins that has come when they had the better of it at even strength, that they had more high danger chances and that they were better at ex in the expected goals for category, right? That they had more than 50% of the expected goals for, they went five straight games winning, even though they were the worst team five on five from a creation of high danger chances standpoint, uh, Dallas, Carolina finishes off the night. One that, again, from a metric standpoint, a value standpoint, would say you should be backing Dallas, but Carolina gets Peter Morazic back. And who's the guy who we've been waiting for Carolina to get all season long? You know, worrying about the two goaltenders that have played for Carolina. Now Morazic comes back. And do you think they were fired up to get Morazic back? 18 to 3 were the high danger chances last night for Carolina over Dallas. And you're looking at the scoreboard right now, and you're going, like, it was a 1 nothing game. Like, it was really close. There was probably some value on Dallas, plus 150, given the fact that the game was so close. All of that sort of sounds true until you look at the metrics and you go, wow, 18 to 3 from a high danger standpoint. And, of course, Carolina gets the one goal um, on those high danger chances, and Dallas doesn't score on their all three of their high danger chances. And so Carolina, the rightful winner, but they probably should have won that game 3, 4, or 5 to nothing. Uh, Monday night, couple of games here that are interesting. One that I've made a bet on, and that's Montreal minus one twenty-five, minus one thirty. Still good um, if you're backing Montreal. Um, I would like to know for sure if Jake Allen is in. We've seen over the last two games, and it's you know happened over and over and over this season. The difference between Carey Price and Jake Allen. Carey Price plays Ottawa. He gives up six goals, and you know they lose despite scoring three goals on their own, which you know by and large, especially for Montreal, should be good enough for them to win. And then the you know game before that against Ottawa, Jake Allen is in and they win it 4-1. to one. And so, again, I wrote an Action Network preview uh, about this game and it sort of you know finishes off by kind of saying like it's a really uncomfortable conversation that Montreal is going to have to have here. It looks like they're going to comfortably make the playoffs because obviously Ottawa is not in contention. Calgary has just, you know, played their way right out of the mix. And of course, Vancouver... Who knows if they're even going to finish their season at this point. What a horrendous situation going on out there. Um, but, you know, Montreal's going to make this playoffs. And it's not going to take much for them to sort of clinch it here in the next few weeks. 
And then they're going to have this, have this conversation about whether it's Carey Price or Jake Allen. And that is going to be an awkward one for them. Ottawa is playing Winnipeg tonight in Winnipeg. They're plus 175. You know what to do when it comes to Ottawa. You want to take 10 minutes of the game time. And you want to see where we're at with who's starting. Is you know Have they shown up with the uh, what musical chairs of Ottawa goaltenders where Matt Murray may be back pretty soon. He might end up in the net. Gustafsson, uh, Forsberg, all guys with last names who you you know sound like hockey players and are hockey players of the past are all of a sudden new goaltenders that we don't know anything about, and so I want to wait ten minutes, and that you know would have worked out against Montreal in sort of a backwards way because Ottawa scores first against Montreal on Saturday and then Montreal ties it. And so there was opportunity to get in one, one, but it's just so confused that Ottawa could possibly have scored first that you didn't even really know what to do with yourself at that point in time. Normally it's zero, zero after 10 minutes, if not the opponent getting early goals against Ottawa. So again, same situation when it comes to that. Um, Calgary and Toronto right back at it and you're saying okay we right back into Calgary and Toronto back in Calgary again close enough game at plus 135 there's some value there all of that kind of thing and the answer to that is I don't think so and first and foremost I'm going to need to know who is in net for Toronto is it Jack Campbell if it is we don't want anything to do with this game if it's not now we're starting to have a conversation, right? And if Markstrom is in net, again, even though he hasn't played particularly well, he's got a minus goal saved above average. So it's a goal saved below average, I suppose. Um, this season, that's a pretty good matchup for Calgary. And so it might be the sort of last opportunity here if we find out that it's Markstrom um, against Hutchinson or God knows who for the Leafs. So we're going to keep our eye on that. Jack Campbell looking so good through the first five games that he's played, but he just can't seem to be healthy enough to play two games in a row. So we'll have to see if he's able to play uh, tonight. Tomorrow, uh, recap of the big game tonight, obviously, the tournament in general, and the first of two looks. We'll do a little what a preliminary look at the Masters and, of course, you know, get into it deep on Wednesday. And a little refresher on golf betting in general. We've sort of done a bunch of, sort of tertiary golf betting. If you follow along on Twitter, at authentic, you'd have seen a bunch of live bets that we've done to mostly success um, this season. Uh, and so we're going to put that into full effect here for uh, the Masters and, of course, the rest of the uh, the golf season here as we get closer and closer to summer, which, of course, when college basketball is done, it does certainly feel, right, like summer is coming along here soon enough. Obviously, baseball just happening around us um, helps with that sort of feeling as well. If you're new, subscribe. If you're long time, rate, review. And if you're really long time, share the podcast at Emrus Authentic on Twitter, the underscore window underscore podcast on Betsperts. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.